Morning, Jana. Morning, Alex. How are you doing today? I am well. So, I have a question for you. Okay. You're a pastor. Yes. So is it easier for you to trust God? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MGC podcast. Today, we are talking with Jana Lee about Psalm 121, trust and community. Sit back and enjoy. You need time to put your defenses down and know that you don't have to be in charge and in control all the time. You literally cannot be in control when you're sleeping. And you have to have some level of peace and trust to be able to sleep. And I feel that that is God's message of no matter how much you think you're in control, I want you to get some rest because I need to be the one in control. I can't answer that because I've never, I can't remember not being a pastor. And I don't mean that in the like, I don't remember before I was hired. There is just that style of being that I feel have always been there. So how would I know if it's easier when I've always been me? And um, that's been the role that I have tended to have in life. Do you think it's easier if you're a pastor or a religious leader? You know, I don't necessarily think it's easier to have faith because you're a pastor or religious leader. I think it can be an added challenge. I think one of the challenges is to have honest faith if you're a religious leader because the pressure is to be a leader, to have strong faith to not question it. So being honest about your personal feelings and separating that from your job, from my job, so I should say, being honest about my personal feelings versus what I feel I should have, um, I, I struggle with knowing where that line is. So um, I know how to, what, I, know, I know what I think and say and I want to be very authentic and I know how I struggle with true authenticity because I feel the uh, pressure, obligation to be strong for others. In your sermon, you read Psalm 121. What does looking to the hills have to do with trust? So in my studies, I found people don't always agree on um, the reasoning behind things in the Bible. And there were three in particular that they, that they claimed that the looking to the hills was. And one was um, looking for either your enemy approaching or your help from another nation. One was looking to the high places worshiping other idols. And um, one was that it was aiming for Jerusalem and that was the temple mount that, that Yahweh was welcoming you on on a pilgrimage. Um, and this is a song for a pilgrimage. And the point that I saw the psalmist making, regardless of which reasoning he had, was none of that is high enough. That the hills will not be the source of the help. The people that come over the hills, the, the gods that dwell on the hills are not the source of peace and strength. You must look higher. That we have to look to the God of all heaven and earth, which is the, the next line, the maker of the hills. How's your sleep lately? 
I have not done well. Um, I'm not somebody who, um, I'm not highly anxious. I really value good sleep. I like to get a solid eight hours. I go to bed at a decent time and wake up at a decent time. I love myself a power nap in the middle of the day. Um, if you give me 20 minutes, I can conk out, wake back up and feel refreshed. And lately, since the pandemic, I've had sleep issues and I never have. My goals of waking up with and being able to go back to sleep, like I just trying not to think and my brain just racing. Um, I, it's, it's a very unpleasant feeling of not being able to rest when I know that I need it so badly. In your sermon, you say, in the middle of the night when I wake up, he was already awake. Simply what, what you're saying is that God does not rest so I can rest. Can you expand on that? God obviously created us with, with rhythms and space in life. And I, I love and appreciate the rhythms of life from physical yearly seasons to seasons of life to um, the rhythm of the week. And rest is important. And I love sleep. And God, you, you know, any sort of brain science you study, what sleep does for our brains, what rest does. I mean, you know, you think about how lack of sleep is a literal form of torture. And yet we really know so little as to why. Like we know so little of what the brain is doing. But God has clearly designed us to be able to rest and trust. And I think that there's an element of that, of God saying, you need time to put your defenses down and know that you don't have to be in charge and in control all the time. You literally cannot be in control when you're sleeping. And you have to have some level of peace and trust to be able to sleep. And I feel that that is God's message of no matter how much you think you're in control, I want you to get some rest because I need to be the one in control. And you need to trust that and rest and know that I am awake no matter what is happening in your life. Not sleeping isn't going to help you. So just trust that I've got this and you need rest. But let's say I'm having trouble sleeping and I am worrying. Does that mean I don't trust God? Can I worry? Can I have some doubts? Can I have anxiety but still trust God? Is the way that I feel evidence that I don't trust God? Yeah. <laughs> and I would honestly say in those moments, if you are having worry and anxiety, I, I, if I am having worry and anxiety, I am not trusting God. They don't go hand in hand. That doesn't mean it's a whole, all of my life I don't trust God. It means that when I am worrying, when I am having anxiety, I am not trusting God. I don't believe the two can go together. And I will say probably my favorite text in all of scripture is the man who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think God understands us and knows that we live in that pole between anxiety and trust, but I don't believe they, they coexist. I believe it is one or the other, and it takes an intentional letting go. Now, I want to be clear. This is about worry and stress. Anxiety as a disorder is a different story. There is, a, there is actual, you know, the mental health, the mental diagnosis of, diagnosis of anxiety does not mean you don't trust God. I'm talking about when we are letting our brains worry about things outside of our control. Not an anxiety disorder, um, not an anxiety struggle. Um, but when we are actually allowing ourselves to let our brains go down the what-if trail instead of 
intentionally pulling back and trusting. There's a difference between that and actually struggling with anxiety. In your sermon, you told the story of a theology professor and his wife. Did God not let them down? Is it fair to say that God has broken our trust if things don't turn out the way we expected them to? No. I think it shows that we trust in the wrong things, that we haven't actually trusted in God, that we think trust means it going my way. Um, And I don't think this world is going God's way. But God's not asking us to trust that our life is going to turn out well here on earth. That's, That's not the trust that I think is what's being offered. So God isn't letting us down when God doesn't do it our way. That's, that's just not the case. And God doesn't think it's petty. God doesn't look at a, a couple who's struggling. When, when this theology professor, when she lost her husband, God wasn't like, well, trust anyways, you're fine. You know, this is temporary problems. God is entering into our pain and cares about our pain. But not doing, not healing isn't letting down our trust. Um, that's, that just means that we, what am I trying to say? What we are trusting in was a physical need. Um, and that I don't believe is what God is offering with the protection and the peace that is offered. Today we are talking with Pastor Jana Lee about her sermon on Psalm 121. And just in case you haven't read the passage in a long time, let me read it here to you. It reads, I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? And the text doesn't say it, but it's actually asking the question like, does my help come from the hills? Then verse 2, he answers the question, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. In your sermon, you transitioned by clarifying that eternal security doesn't remove us from having to live in the here and the now. Can you expand a little bit on the importance of living in the here and now and being present? So that's what's fascinating is eternal security actually allows us to be more present. When I know that the core of what God created in me is safe, I don't have to continually be living either in the past or the what ifs of the future. But I can sit here with you, Alex, and say, let's talk, let's delve and not worry about what is happening tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But I can actually be here knowing that I live in safety and experience the moment and the moment may be painful. 
the moment may be joyful and I don't have to avoid those feelings, those emotions. I can engage in them without worry because my eternal self is safe. So I don't have to be defensive and I don't have to um, see joy as fragile or fleeting. I can engage in it fully in the present moment with the person that I'm talking to, listening to, engaging with, with myself. I can engage in my own emotions um, without fear of, of and needing defensiveness, fear of being weak or being hurt, um, being seen as weak because I know that God has me, that my identity in God is safe. In your sermon, you brought together the two concepts of trusting God and living life together in a community. Can you expand a little bit on the connection between both trusting God and living together? So um, this psalm about trusting in God and living at peace, that internal peace, by finding that as I was saying, you're able to now be present with the other. It is not a piece that is meant to put a wall around me and make it so that I am no longer needing to engage in the world. But instead, it's a piece that calls us to expand that peace to the community. And you can only have peace when you have peace in your community. We are not alone, the body of Christ. The whole, the whole of the church is the body of Christ. And you are only as healthy as your sickest member. As I said in my sermon, when you stub your toe, your hand isn't like, whatever, we're good. Um, the whole body is affected when anybody is in pain, even, um, even when we don't necessarily know about it. So to, to pray for each other, to lift each other up, to listen to each other more than trying to fix each other um, is to live at peace. And that, that level of peace, to intentionally seek Kindness, care, listening, um, praying for each other is a deeper level of peace that extends to the body of Christ. And you can't have internal peace if you are living at odds with your brothers and sisters. I think you summed it up very well in your sermon that we are called to trust God and love people. Is there anything that you would like to say that you did not get the opportunity to share on Sabbath? You know, I don't know if it's, if it's something I didn't necessarily get to share, but I think about um, a few weeks back as I studied the concept of um, judgment and you get, you get one opinion about people. It's something that I have really held on to and I still do. This idea of living at odds. I disagree with people. And I disagree with how they do things and how they're handling things. And when I find myself getting frustrated with a person, even just in my head and they don't know because of a post or because of a text or something that somebody said or did, when I go to the inner part of myself that knows that I am a sinner saved by grace and that that part of me is called to love that other sinner saved by grace, because they are of eternal worth. And I look to that deeper self underneath the action, underneath the mental attitude, underneath it all to their core, I find it easier to extend grace and love. That finding that place in myself, I can seek that place and see it in that person 
and I am much more able to live at peace when we recognize um, I am the worst of sinners, when I no longer see myself as better than, but that we are all the worst of sinners loved by Jesus, you know, saved by grace. That is my saving grace for being able to love the other. That reminder of how much God loves that person and seeking to just dig deeper. Um, It's a visual, it's a very real thing for me to see that inner core of somebody else. Um, It's a very physical thing to know that it's there, that this person that God loves is there. Um, And God loves them just as much as he loves me. Pastor Jana, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. Commenting on Psalm 121, uh, this is what Eugene Peterson has to say. And this is from his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, on page 35. He says, A look to the hills for help ends in disappointment. For all their majesty and beauty, for all their quiet strength and firmness, they are finally just hills. And for all their promises of safety against the perils of the road, for all the allurements of their priests and priestesses, they are all finally lies. As Jeremiah put it, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies of the mountains, Jeremiah 3.23. Let us not look to the hills, for as Pastor Jana tells us, the hills are not high enough they will disappoint us. Let us look up to the heavens. Let us look to God where our true help comes. Grace and peace to you.